Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. One stop. He's with you, cut. With his Honestly. I've gussed it. I've absolutely gussed it. I enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Thank you. For the second year running, it is victory here in Mexico City for Max Verstappen. That is mission accomplished, Max. And a very, very special number 14. Fantastic. Oh, amazing, guys. What a fantastic race again. <laughs> 14 wins. Unbelievable. What a season. Well, I made that is a new record. 14 Grand Prix victories. That's the most race wins we've ever had in a season so uh, absolutely congratulations very very well done yeah i done the podium as well that's amazing uh, here in mexico well done guys there it is there's the call right there the final stretch of that mexican grand prix finishing up today in mexico city distrito federal where we were so bummed out my heavens not to see uh checo walk away with a W, but uh, as usual, Alex Keery and Dan Jimenez joining you on a race Sunday. Hopefully you got to uh, – hopefully you stayed awake for, I don't know, a stretch of about 30 laps there uh, after some uh, shenanigans kind of in the in the middle there. But, Dan, your thoughts on a Mexico Grand Prix that uh, saw Max with a record-setting 14 wins on the season. Everybody's excited. Mexico got their champion uh, on the uh, podium there, and yet I was super bored. Now what do I do with myself? <laughs> yeah, yeah. this is one of the races where you just kind of have to look at the silver linings around the other interesting stories because uh, the actual action on the track just uh, uh, it wasn't what we saw in Austin, that's for sure. But uh, the storylines were there. Um, I think my favorite part of the weekend was the mariachi band playing the Formula oh, the One F1 theme. theme. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I yeah. did love that. That was that was great. I, I think there should be like local takes yes. on the Formula One theme where so everywhere we go. You go to the Hungaro Ring and uh, you get whatever Hungarian music is. All right, right. You, go, you go to you go to uh, Bavaria. You get the you know the accordions out. You get the dudes in the lederhosen playing it. I mean, Spain, yeah. same thing. You get the full-on flamenco guitars going on. We should – I mean, this stuff writes itself, Dan. It was an amazing thing. You got to get that one to – one of my favorite memes is the guy who plays the sad F1 music theme, like on an off-pitch yeah. flute. I yeah. want that guy. Yeah. I want them yeah, to like, invite yeah, that on guy recorder. on a bad recorder <laughs> to come out and do it. Maybe that's like on a race like today when it ends like that. That's what you get. When it's not exciting <laughs> – Max passes the finish line, and you have that 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 cruddy oboe or recorder or whatever is giving you that music. That's an amazing take. And then a, and then rock and roll, obviously in America. Uh, yeah, that could be a pretty cool rock and roll theme. Yeah, Donnie and Marie next year at uh in Vegas. In Vegas. Look, this yeah. this stuff writes it freaking it's freaking self. So, uh, but in the end, here's another little bit of fun news. Danny Rick, driver of the day, the guy like powered through. I don't know where he found performance out of that mclaren but and out of all the mclarens that you would think be on the track find some uh some uh, you know some sort of pace danny rick uh, ends uh driver of the day and a nice little finish for him there in mexico yeah even after a time penalty um you know i think he he bumped into sonoda there which i, I don't i know he like hit another driver but I, that's that's a tough one for me because he had been on sonoda for a few corners there 
And Yuki should have been watching his mirrors, I think, closer. And uh, in my opinion, turned in a bit into Daniel, but whatever. So Ricardo then, you know, switches for softs and just, boom, just way, you know, up the field, just started um, gaining all that time with a little bit of fire in his belly. Well, uh, after all this, though, you get the the finish, the podium. Uh, (laughs) Mercedes was this close all weekend long. It was a weird qualifying session, too, yesterday. As I was kind of watching it, everybody was like the blazing fast Mercedes in FP3. And then you're going, yeah, but, you know, I think you're probably going to see Red Bull sandbagging a little bit. The the tire temperatures, the track temperatures yesterday just did not hook up for Mercedes. And that, like, blistering pace, I think, went away. And then I think they lost some of their groove in, in, uh, in qualifying because of it. But it was another weekend where whatever updates they brought to Austin – didn't really pan out super well. I think I heard George saying that this last weekend, but then the, those same updates apparently in Mexico worked out really well. Um, and I think everybody's waiting to see at least some mix up and maybe maybe uh, Lewis could get on the, uh, uh, you know, on the top step of the podium there. But a nice weekend for Mercedes, and I don't know if that's a, a super big bummer for Ferrari that they were falling so far back. Everybody's been waiting for a weekend like this where you had those top three teams performing, and you kind of got it, but uh, Ferrari, the short end of the stick today, uh, finishing behind the other two teams. Yeah, they kind of flubbed qualifying there. Like Charles had some sort of an engine issue, it looks like. Uh, Got really slow down the straights during qualifying, and then, yeah, those guys just never really found pace during uh, the race. And um, again, I think what is winning this for Red Bull is just their tire management. It was another race where I thought that the tire difference strategy difference between Lewis and Max was going to make it closer with Lewis going hards and very clearly a one stopper. When Max went to mediums, I thought like, oh, okay, this is going to be, he's going to go for the two stop race and then just stayed out there and managed his tires and finished 15 seconds ahead of Lewis. And so, yeah, uh, Red Bull's ability to manage their tires and I mean, Max's ability to be honest as a driver is just, uh, it's impeccable. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. So, I mean, well-deserved 14th and record-breaking win in a season for Max, but um, I think, you know, Mercedes is getting, they're getting closer. I think that they're starting to find a bit more of their groove. They took a little bit of a chunk out of the points lead from Ferrari. And I think that's going to make these last, what is it? Two races pretty exciting, uh, between for that kind of second stop, uh, second, uh, position on the constructors, uh, championship. Uh, so you get that nice podium of Verstappen, Hamilton, then Perez on, on the, on that third step there. What what was what was George's deal this weekend? And it just seems like all year long, when George has been sticking around, and and, and when you think he's going to be able to stick his nose in and, and and plug himself in for a win, he's been super disappointing on the performance side because the car seemed like it was there. He was upset at himself in qualifying for the track limits thing, but it just seems like George really has had a really good year while also being totally forgettable. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, he didn't have a really great start off the line, too. Um, I felt like he was in that, uh, it was like the catbird seat, right? Like he's in second, um, which is the preferred place to start at Mexico because it's a 800-meter sprint down to turn one. And so uh, there's like some crazy streak of, I don't know how many races in a row of, um, by the time you get to turn one, the person in, you know, the pole sitter is not in first. And so I thought he was going to get that toe, but um, it was more Lewis. Uh, and yeah, he, he lost a couple spots. I think he lost a spot to Sergio right off the bat. So I don't know if he was maybe playing it a bit more cautious after being the enemy last week and, and pegging Carlos. 
Um, who knows? But I, I'm with you. Like he's he was making a, so much noise in the first half of the season and being Mister Consistent. Um, and in the second half of the season, he's just kind of like uh, either right on the podium or right off the podium. And it seems like Lewis has been the more exciting uh, one of of that pairing. I was thinking about how. You know, Alonzo had another disappointing DNF, and the guy, you know, I, I start to think and look back, Dan, and go, okay, this guy doesn't like this team. <laughs> like, there's there's, <laughs> there's a reason he's leaving. There's a reason he left the way that he did, you know. And yeah. so then I actually got on today, and somebody had posted, I think, you know, one of the one of the subreddits about, about F1 and his 2022 season and looking at all the stuff – uh, first, first couple uh, races of the year, engine problem race one, engine problem race two. That's where he gets his first DNF, hydraulic failure in Australia, uh, in uh, in Italy, hit by Schumacher, didn't DNF there. Slow pit stop in Miami, loses points because of the two uh, post race penalties as well, but had an extremely slow one there. Traffic in the last qualifying attempt, uh, uh, fourth engine of the season they had to use in that one. Canada engine problem. Uh, virtual safety cars, loses points there. Couldn't do the last qualifying run at Silverstone. Broken floor in qualifying in Austria. In Austria. Belgium hit by uh, Hamilton in the race. Damaged car. Blocked in Q2 in uh, the Netherlands. <laughs> Engine problem, third DNF in Monza. Engine problem in, uh, I want to say, is that the, I think that's Turkey. Uh, his fourth DNF, or no, it, we're just, no, that's the, uh, that's the one you were at. Where's that at? Uh, Singapore? Yeah, Singapore. Did he end up not finishing that one? I think he might have. Uh, uh, correct. Yeah, fourth, yeah. Fourth yeah, I think DNF. both of the Alpines didn't yes, make it. Fourth DNF of the year was the, was the race in Singapore. Uh, Japan gets mad at his team because of the bad strategy, if you'll recall. Takes mm-hmm. his sixth, en- sixth engine of the freaking season in Austin. Uh, grid penalty. Gets hit by Stroll, obviously. And then, th- and then this uh, race in Mexico, his car petered off at the end. Fifth DNF of the year. If you're wondering why he's moving away from Alpine, the car looks deceptively fast. It's also got a lot of problems, and the team might have some problems that we're not seeing too. So now you're seeing kind of a little bit of the background, I guess, of why he's leaving and moving teams. Jeez, yeah, that's wild. When you list it all out, uh, he's had a terrible season, and it's a kind of a miracle. He's in ninth on the uh, driver's standing table. I, w- I would have thought with a list like that, he would have been definitely in the Latifi bottom 10. Zone. But yeah. I guess he's w- when everything does come together, he really gets a lot out of it. So, yeah, it's uh, – it's uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, move for him to go over to um, Aston Martin. We'll see how he does next year. Hopefully, he gets better luck. Uh, I think my favorite thing, though, of the entire day. Hopefully, I can get this audio to work. Uh, <laughs> Lando Norris being totally Lando. On the one hand, like you and I have both been like, when is this kid going to get his first win? It's just nothing has been able to really hook up for all of McLaren this year, and really for Lando especially, but. This is him post-race being asked the question by Sky Sports. Well, good day for the team, Lando. Both cars in the points. Um, yeah. Why didn't at the start he drop down to P10? It's only two positions. Well, so I'm run down to turn one. That's not, a, it's not, it's not optimal. <laughs> you should try driving, mate. Yeah. Um, there it is. You should try driving, Ted. Give it a shot. <laughs> Dude, Ted Kravitz is on everybody's you-know-what list. <laughs> he... He ticked off Red Bull, and they're not giving any interviews to Sky Sports. Oh my and so gosh! It's like the, it seems like the drivers all have it out for him. He's uh, <laughs> he's persona non grata. Yeah, it's interesting because on the one hand, like from a sports journalist perspective, I go, let these guys ask the questions. 
Uh, and it's never good when an athlete looks at you and goes, you try to hit a three-pointer, dude. Why don't you throw that touchdown pass, you know? And uh, also speaking from experience is just being the chubby uh, sports commentator side of things. It's, it's, not, it's not a great feeling when you ask an athlete like straight up, like, what's the problem, man? You had a really tough, uh, tough start. And yet at the same time, you're expected to ask those questions too. So uh, yeah, it's, a job. it's like a mix of uh, – of of Ted Kravitz like being he's the ultimate nosy dude and on the one hand you kind of want that from the perspective of you and I consuming it but on the other hand uh these guys have a hard time with it uh so that's pretty wild uh in the end of it though again this is uh this you know I was looking at Fernando after the race and he's just like yeah there's another problem with this car not a shocker we had another uh problem with this number 14 car at the end of everything, though, we're kind of coming down to the last two races of the year. Uh, Max got his 14th record-breaking race. Does he let up? Does Red Bull let up? That doesn't seem like the Christian Horner way. But at the same time, it's like, what do you do now when the thing's so wrapped up and everything's every championship, all your dreams have, have come true? He was wearing the uh, the championship helmet that we found out has 22-karat uh, gold leaf actually uh, <laughs> laid onto it. So uh, everything's beautiful for this team. At, at what point do you say – uh, hey, let's not like try to go all out here at every race and maybe start looking at what next year's development looks like. Or how, how do they handle the last two races here of the season? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think that for a few weeks now, we keep thinking like, oh, you know, they, like they've, they've got it all locked up. They're going to take a little bit easy, take it a little bit easier. Maybe they give um, Sergio more of the strategic priority. But but week after week, Max keeps coming out and just banging out laps. I mean, every single lap on that stint on that medium tire that he did was in the one minute 22s, except for the virtual safety car laps. Like that is incredible consistency to get over the course of, I don't know how many laps that was 40 some odd laps on that set of tires, like all within the same uh, one second band is just insane. Like max is just in a completely different dimension. And so, yeah, I think they're going to come out and they're going to go for 15 wins and 16 wins. And, uh, but it, you know, it brings up an interesting question of what do you, you know, try to learn in the last two, uh, races of the year, especially considering they're going to have less wind tunnel time than they thought they were going to get because of the, finally this penalty came down for the cost cap breach. And so, you know, what can be learned in the, in these next two weeks to try and make up for some of that, a lost wind tunnel time. I don't know. Like maybe they, they try to prioritize some error testing during practice. Uh, I noticed too. You put this out there too that the that the uh, wind tunnel that Red Bull uses is one of the oldest <laughs> that is out there, and I just assumed that if you have a wind tunnel that you're working with, it's going to be top notch, especially if you're a team like Red Bull. So, uh, what is the situation there? Like, uh, can they just spend a bunch of? Money? I mean, is that part of the cost cap thing? Like, can you just buy a new, uh, you know, wind tunnel that you can use, or is that something that has to be? wound into another cost somewhere else uh because i mean if if they have a a a cruddy kind of below par uh you know aero testing kind of facility and they're not able to use uh, very much time of it like what's the point of having something like that if it's not going to be top notch especially if you're red bull yeah that's a, a good question i um had just learned that that they've kind of repurposed an old kind of world war ii era um raf uh wind tunnel for um for race car testing um because it has that rolling road in it and it's not a full-size wind tunnel it's a it's a scale tunnel so um for it, it's like they're running a 60 percent scale model of the car hmm. 
Uh, and uh, you can still do that and scale up and down all the math to make it work for what it, you know a full-size car is going to do. Um, so I think that uh, to answer your question, I, I, I'm not quite sure on how it works into the cost cap. I have to imagine that if you want to go put some improvements into your wind tunnel that you own, then that's going to count in your development costs. Um, but you know, other teams, they have to pay if they don't own their own wind tunnel, they have to pay to rent, you know, wind tunnel time. Um, but it's the time in the wind tunnel and the time doing CFD is all controlled and limited by the FIA, depending on where you finish in the, the last season. And so Red Bull's, uh, already on track to only have 70% of the average. And now that's going to go down by 10% to 63%. So I think that, um, it's, uh, it's it's going to definitely impact their performance next year uh, and into the following year, uh, but I don't think that uh, they would necessarily be needing to put a ton of money into improving their wind tunnel. That seems to have you know done them a good job uh, in the last few years. I'm looking at some of these uh, these constructor standings, some of the driver standings here. Uh, Checo moved ahead of uh, Leclerc by five points. He's five points clear of him right now going into these last two races. Uh, does Sergio end up getting caught by Charles uh, and and passed up? Does Charles end up being the second place in the driver's standing, or is Sergio going to end up just kind of pulling away in these last two races here? Has Ferrari just hit the wall here at this point? It kind of feels like they've hit the wall um, the last couple of races. Uh, we'll see. I, you know, it's a uh, tire management race uh, more in Brazil than Abu Dhabi. I think Abu Dhabi might play more into Ferrari's hands. So I think it's going to be close. I'm going to be watching it closely. I think up and down um, the kind of midfield, there are a lot of really uh, interesting close races, like between Sainz and Hamilton. Then even Hamilton catching George, uh, maybe leapfrogging him. Right. Um, could be interesting. And so there's kind of three guys right there fighting you know, just below Sergio and, and Charles. So um, I, 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 I believe that Charles can do it. Let's, uh, let's kind of put the positive vibes out there into the universe that he can because I think it it would be a, a big disappointment after the start of the season that he had for him to not come in second. Yeah, think about the promise that Ferrari had going into the season. Then they're likely going to finish uh, 250 points clear of uh, of Red Bull, like not able to catch. I mean, the amount of points that they have is insane. I think it'd be cool for for Checo to uh, to win second there. Although it doesn't mean much to him. Obviously, he just goes in and says, "I want to try to win a world championship." Mercedes is 40 points short of Ferrari right now. Uh, does Ferrari have too much to be able to, uh, you know, to get run down by Mercedes? Could Mercedes somehow uh, flip it and end up second in the drivers in the constructor standings? I mean, that would be the most Ferrari thing to do in the last two races to give up 40 points to uh, Mercedes. Definitely possible. I mean, if you get, if Lewis sneaks out a win at, you know, either of these tracks, but I think he's particularly good at Brazil. Um, sneaks sneaks in a win and Ferrari, you know, does like they did today and finish fourth, fifth. And I mean, that's, uh, you know, 25 points uh, for a win. I think they could close that 40 point gap in two races. Definitely possible. Uh, anything else like in terms of, I did see that, I did see that Danny Rick today did in an interview say, uh, I can say with uh, full confidence that I'm not going to be sitting uh, behind the wheel on the grid next year, which I think we all kind of knew at this point. But to hear it is a is an absolute bummer. I don't know how a guy like that doesn't find a seat when you have 
a bunch of people that are less capable on other teams that you just go, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if he's lost favor with everybody. If people don't want to deal with him, maybe he is harder to deal, to deal with than we thought. But Danny Rick not being on the grid when he's still capable, it seems like a weird thing to me. Yeah, it's weird. I, you know, he seems like maybe he's a trickier guy than um, his, you know, kind of smiley personality puts on. I think in that, you know, drive to survive kind of back behind the scenes of making that decision to just leave Red Bull in the prime of his career, just a little bit of a head scratcher, especially choosing to go to Renault at the time that wasn't uh, performing super well. So, you know, maybe he's a tricky guy. Uh, I don't think he's got this like black dot on him for, you know, other teams to not go and race. You know, uh, Gunter Steiner for Haas said that like, look, he knows he has my phone number and we have an open seat. So, (laughs) you know, I think he was almost saying like, uh, you know, he's uh, Danny Rick is almost too proud to call Haas and, you know, ask for a ride. He's like looking, he's like looking like Haas in front of him. He's looking past him going. Oh boy, nobody out there, huh? And they're like me right here. It's like, oh shoot, no team out there. Well, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I get it. You know, you've been racing uh, at the top. You know, with the you know with blue blood. You know, teams and, and Red Bull, of course. Where you go, hey, I mean, racing for McLaren and racing for uh, even even Renault and and uh, of course Red Bull before that, like. It would feel probably like a massive demotion, but again, wouldn't you just rather stay in a seat in F1? Or I guess, like you were saying, he'd probably have a better shot next year and looking around and going, "Look, some of these teams are gonna are gonna cool on, you know, some of these other drivers. You know, whether it's maybe on the Alfa Romeo team trying to sneak in after Joe Guan Yu next year, or uh, you know, to try to kind of sneak in and be on one of these other teams with uh, with a stronger team situation. And maybe that's what he's looking for." Yeah, that does seem like the dice that he's rolling. Um, you know, what's interesting is on the Mercedes side, you know, Lewis wants he's has been pretty vocal about saying he wants another contract um, to keep racing. And you'd think that, you know, seven time world champion that Mercedes would just give him a contract, and, but they haven't yet. And Lewis has, I think, really picked up his performance in the last few weeks. I wonder if that's a little bit of him just still showing the team. He's like, hey, guys, I can still I'm still the second best driver on the grid behind Max, if not the first best driver, if I'm in good equipment. So um, we'll, you know, hopefully um, Lewis gets another contract and that would, uh, you know, lock up that seat. You know, one that seems like there have been rumors around Danny Rick kind of sniffing for. Do you think that they would sour on uh, on Lewis? I feel I feel like that marriage between he and Toto could never be broken up. Yeah, it would be very surprising. I think if uh, Lewis had kind of really mailed it in this year uh, and been terrible to work with after giving up early on the season, then maybe. But um, I think he's uh, probably here to stay for us at least another three years. Is my guess from a team standpoint. I mean, you see this happen in sports a lot. Teams will just kind of go. Uh, radio silent a little bit when you're you start talking about contract negotiations and, and at that point it becomes a little bit of a tryout I mean you see this across sports and guys are like you know the, the whole idea of I'm in a contract year uh, I better show up and perform and when the team shuts up and they don't say anything and they say yeah that's something we could look at in the offseason then he goes oh, I've got a little bit more motivation to beat George to uh, to figure out what I'm going to do you know uh, you know long term and so it's smart on the team's side of thing be, uh, side of things because that's what they're going to want is to make sure that he's giving in the best and so I like it I like the uh, I like the move here uh, before we get out you've got uh, in a couple of weeks 
uh, heading down to Brazil, this uh, this whole grid, um, this track at Interlagos, I mean, this is one that is pretty interesting because it's just it's one of these far flung places compared to a lot of the other uh, races. I know I remember last year. I think it was just week to week they were racing between Mexico and Brazil. And if I remember right, a lot of these teams had a hard time uh, getting down to Brazil. They couldn't get flights. They couldn't get cargo ships. And uh, I th- do you remember this? It was like Ferrari showed up maybe oh, two yeah. days before FP one. It was it was like trying to set up. Uh, you know their camp, and and uh, so this year, a couple weeks between that split uh, down to uh, Interlagos. What does this track, uh, you know, kind of favor and throw Red Bull out? They're not a part of this conversation. Who does it? Who does it favor? Somebody who's still in the mix and looking to make some moves here. Um, I think it favors uh, um, Mercedes in their recent upgrades. I think that uh, it's it's high downforce track, and I think it plays into Lewis's skills. Uh, and if it rains. Uh, then, you know, the Rainmasters will, will kind of come to the top. So Sergio and Lewis, and I think Lando's really good in the rain as well. So uh, it's always a high probability of rain down there. But um, I think that's who I'm, I'm looking at. But there's just like so many great memories from uh, Brazil. I think it was the 2008 uh, Brazilian Grand Prix where the, uh, the championship was determined, I think, on the last lap uh, of the race. And it was the last race of the season. Um it's just a, a really cool place. It's a high downforce track, lots of long swooping um, corners. Uh, and so, yeah, whoever uh, can, can produce the most grip and hold on to their tires the longest will win. All right, there you go. We'll be back again this week. Uh, Dan will uh, bring some mid uh, a midweek episode for folks. Uh, and so we're going to make you do your engineering homework, and we're going to jump into another side of, uh, of F1 that we maybe hadn't seen or hadn't jumped into yet. Hey, on the way out here, I found something for you uh, just to make sure we kind of go out in style here. Yes. <laughs> this is the way they should all be done. So the the best rendition of the uh, of the F1 Open, all the, the entire calendar. I don't know why they wouldn't do this in every place. So, and the best part is seeing guys like Mick Schumacher with his music behind him. It's like... Couldn't be the, like, <laughs> further from Yuki Sonoda with this uh, mariachi music going on. So there you go. Uh, Dan, appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you again later this week. Looking forward to it. All right, there you go. For Dan, I'm Alex. We'll talk to you next week, everybody, on Mode Push, another edition in the books.